Hi, welcome to another episode of Pure Fest Brewers Roundtables. This week we're at episode 25, which is a little bit of a milestone. Um, kind of surprised at it myself, but uh, it's been a lot of fun. Hopefully we're going to continue and get another 25. So this week um, we had some, we had two really great brewers with us. We had Kevin from Basqueland in Spain, and it was his first time coming on, uh, hopefully not the last. And we also had Chris from Hopefully in Ireland. Chris has been on before. You might have, um, you remember him with, uh, you know, he was on with Arpus and Beretta um, and I think Blacks as well from Kinsale. So we, he's been on. He's um good chat. Always interesting. We were meant to be joined by Zmashka from Croatia, but unfortunately a personal matter came up at the last second. They couldn't make it, but hopefully we'll have them on again. Um, so this was a good chat. We covered, obviously, the history of the breweries, you know, the beers, the the market, what, you know, how they brew for their different markets. And we had a lot of talk on, um, you know, they're, they're very interested in pairing food with beer, both of them. So that was a, a good chat. Um, overall, great chat. If you'd rather see the video, it's available, as are all the other videos, at beerfest.com. And while there, you can also register to take part in all our future conversations. And we have some really great ones coming up, including ones on yeast and a whole weekend on African brewing in association with the Chicago Brewseum. So hopefully we'll see you at some of those. In the meantime, let's talk beer. Get started. We don't really have any any kind of topic or schedule today. We're just going to try and chat about beers, see what we're, see how things are in in Spain and particularly up around Basque and in Ireland, and just, just chat about beer. So, um, maybe Kevin, maybe you can start us off. Basque land has been around. I mean, built up a, a big reputation very quickly. Oh, 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 thanks for saying that. Well, we started uh, six years ago. We're about six and a half years in. Um, the idea was to make beer on par with. Basque cuisine, uh, which surprisingly was lacking quite a bit. So we stepped in uh, to our our facility uh, about six years ago, and since have been um, rolling out a lot of different uh, new beers uh, year after year. But what we do, what we do, the way we work it is we have seven core range beers that we have uh, available year round, and then pretty much every two every week we roll out two to three new beers. Okay, they could be anywhere from imperial stouts to uh, borders to uh, kettle sours, um, deepas, hazy IPAs. You name it, um, we're making it uh, all the way down to even. Um, you know, I'm, I'm sipping on a, a hoppy pilsner right now. Uh, then we have our core range lager, and you know we've it, it's we've been fortunate that uh, when COVID started to rear its ugly head, that we had a, a, a good reputation throughout Europe, so we were able to uh sell quite a bit and, and weather the storm um and so pretty much now like what we're looking at now is hoping that uh things are going to start to get back to normal knock on wood yeah. and, uh, and and really throughout that whole time uh well uh pre-2020 uh back to when we opened in 2015 there was just this massive huge learning curve uh for the for the market here which had gone from um, really nothing 10 years ago to uh, having this, this massive, huge uptake. And uh, they've been exceptional. The, when I say they, I mean the consumers have been really, really 
wonderful and they've been um, just eager to learn. So along with us, uh, we've been able to put out so many great new styles and have them adapt adopt and and really give us great feedback and just they're, they're our backbone they right and is it most of your stuff like i said uh, you you had already built a kind of a reputation in retail or was it all going mainly into hospitality yeah we we don't sell to any supermarkets at all uh you can find our beer in bottle shops which is um obviously an, an important uh venue for us however we have always eschewed take, taking the the ease of selling a lot of beer to a supermarket simply because they demand um, several different things for, for the uninitiated. You have you have to buy your own uh, like retail space. You have to pay them for money on the shelf. At least that's how it works here. You have to pay them for money on the shelf. Then they ask for serious discounting. And then what you find as well with uh, these big supermarkets is they don't respect the cold chain. And then uh, even at the point of sale, uh, they are never refrigerated. So it's just been in demand. We, we have a meeting with big supermarkets like every six months. And we say, all right, are you guys going to buy, buy less beer? Uh, you know, Im imagine a client being like, we want you to buy less. And they're like, no, we want to buy this much at one time. Well, we're not going to do that because you're, you're not you don't have the, um, the you don't have the right channel to move our beer the way we want it at this point in time. And then like the, the big breaking, uh, the, the deal breaker with them is, well, are you going to have, have this refrigerated at, uh, at the at, at point of sale? Well, no, we're not there yet. Well, then we're not, we're not going to move on with you. So to get back to your question, Brian, pretty much 90% of everything we make goes to bar and restaurant. And the other 10% we sell at our own tap rooms and e-commerce. Okay. And your tap room is well. You're you're sitting in it now. Um, it's a it's a new, yeah. new brand new tap room. Yeah, uh, we are. We, we have a uh, really. It's called that's Danny. <laughs> Danny's been with us for five years. He's having lunch now. Um, we um, we took this over two years ago. Actually, great timing. We signed the lease February 2020, and it had to shut down in March 2020. So, uh, you know, we're it, it's it's all good though. We we use it as a as a you know point of sale, just selling to people through the window um but really what is it you know this is a place where it's like come for the beer stay for the food okay. we, uh, chef just left he's a uh, uh french by birth uh trained through joe Rubuchon. we have dishes that are like from four bucks to 15 bucks but, but everything handmade really beautiful uh sell organic wine here and no coffee no tea no no pastry or, sorry, no desserts uh it's really really just crappier food and it, okay. it seems to be working quite well and do you have some way then that you know Someone order, comes in and orders food. You recommend the beer, or they come in they order beer. You recommend food to go with it, or do you just have? Well, I, you know, the good thing is, is uh, when we opened the bar, we already had a built-in clientele, so they were going to come in no matter what because of the beer. Now, uh, those people come in because uh, because the beer's here, and also because the food's there. And the word of mouth around town is, hey, you got to try this place. The food's really good. And then they then the new customers come in, and they, you know, they kind of want what they typically would get anywhere else. So they'll ask for. Uh, you know, regular kind of industrial lager. And it's like, well, we don't do that here. We have this. And then it's just another way, another entree into uh, uh, getting people to try our to try our, our, our wares. And Chris, you, I'm trying to remember when you started up. You started probably around the same time, was it? So, we started in 2017. Uh, and in 2017, we bought this 50-year-old equipment from Metal Man. 
down in Waterford. Which, by the way, the brewer from from Metalman sent me a picture yesterday. He was like, "Oh, this is this came up on my Facebook, uh, and this is me myself and the kettle. Look at the kettle. That's a 50 year old kettle. So we started with that equipment, and it was a five hack equipment and 50 year old. So for the first year, I was like brewing. I was double brewing." every day uh and it each brew took about eight to nine hours so it was working like 16 17 hours a day and weekends uh sleeping in the brewery and so for the first the end of the first year we decided to actually sell the equipment and go contracting which we probably should have done from from the start and uh, but then over the years we kind of realized that you know contracting like everything else, it's got, you know, it's, it's pros and cons. And one of the cons is actually, you know, uh, coming up with new recipes and experimenting because uh, you're not 100% involved in production, all right? So now that said, we we might have some very good news probably, you know, over the coming weeks and we're getting our own facility okay uh yeah so everything going well and next week we're going to be you know releasing well yeah we're going to be releasing a, a kind of a press release to say that hey we're taking this over and we've got our own facility again unfortunately unlike basketland and other breweries around europe and you know in the u.s we don't have uh the top we room. can't have our own top room in ireland yet because you know the laws are 100 year old and it's been a real pain to try to change that uh, but hopefully you know having our own facility now will will help us with you know just coming up with new beers and uh, being more flexible and when we release our beers it's real tough when you're contracting and you know it it's essentially you're not running on your own schedule because you you know you need to take into consideration the schedule of whatever is the brewery that you're contracting with at the moment. Uh, so it's really it's really hard on, on the production side, but yeah, hopefully that's that's going to change now. We're kind of looking forward to that. Uh, it's nice. To, yeah. No, it's nice to see that Baskland is you know they have that that idea of you know beer and food because that's something we've been doing throughout the years as well. We have our own uh, pairing and, and our own beer and food pairing uh, project called Brew Cook, which we do uh, every six months. So it's a it's a four course meal paired with beer. Usually we have a cocktail that's made you know, with beer as well. Now for the summer, we're planning to do one. Uh, it's gonna be an open fire Brew Cook. So everything's gonna be cooked fire. So uh, it's and it's really interesting to see that restaurants in Ireland are getting interest in in having you know craft beers in their restaurants as well. We last Wednesday actually we were invited to go to a it's a fine dining restaurant in Scaries and they were like, look, we've been looking for craft beers now because it's a couple that owns the restaurant and the guy is the chef and he was like years ago it was in New York. And I went to this dining experience, which was a beer and and food pairing, and it was incredible. And 
so I was there with the sommelier, the wine sommelier and, and the chef, and they tasted our beers and they were like, well, I, we think it's great what you do, and especially the sours. And so they're going to be, they're going to have our beers on the menu now. So you can actually choose to pair either with wine or beer. So the way they do it is they, they have, a, they have, they have a seven meal course as well, but so far they've been only pairing with wine. So now they're going to have our beers with their menu as well. So you will be able to choose okay. if you want to pair with beer or wine, which is, it's great to see. Like it's a, you know, the fine dining restaurants, uh, I I don't know how it is in Basque, but I I, don't, I know that Basque is well known for its great food. Uh, yeah, well, um, actually, so the interesting part of that is uh, when I came over, I came over as a chef. I came I came over here from New York, uh, born in Maryland, uh, spent my early adult life in New York, um, working in in food, and then I moved over with my wife, who's from here, and I was running a restaurant. And four years into the restaurant, we had great great food, great wine, great cocktails. And still buying this really shitty beer, and uh, and we could we could f- try to find now. This is seven years ago, so it wasn't like uh, there was a lot of variety even in the bottle shop. And even if there was, uh, it was pretty old. Like like we're not getting the freshest of the fresh. So you know what's a guy to do? And that's when we started contracting. Um, we would drive down uh, j- just to the border of Rioja, Nevada, which is about two and a half hours away. To brew and it was a suboptimal conditions but we were able to put out enough good beer from it um we i think we did three we went down three times and brewed about nine batches and it was good enough for us to uh parlay that into into finding some backers um but it was pretty much for me it was it was as a chef i wanted to complete the experience for the diner yeah and so uh it, it was it was like yeah i it, i love wine I love cocktails. I love food, and I really love beer. But for beer to not have any presence um, with the with the culinary scene here, it was it was uh, it was a sad state. And now uh, you see it the, like it's still a very, relatively small community. It's not nearly as big as a city like like Dublin. But um, you know, San Sebastian's only two hundred thousand people big, and then Bilbao is four times that size. Uh, so we are challenged in the sense of the amount of people. However, those those people are voracious when they get behind something. And so we just have like the, the most outspoken, dedicated, uh, loyal following from here that whenever they go outside of here, they're, just, they're talking about Basque land. And when they when they find it elsewhere, they're like the first people to, to get in by it. Um, so it's there. And I'm getting back to what you said, Cristiano, about, um, you know, yeah, contract brewing. It's hard. It's absolutely super difficult. And then when we decided to open, um, we opened without six years ago, we opened without any kind of, of true plan to have a tap room. And then we just kind of cobbled things together. It was very grassroots. Like, you know, at some point you just don't have the money to do everything you want. So uh, conversations I've had with other brewers, it's you either decide from the outset that you're going to be a production brewery that eventually segues into hospitality, or you're going to be a brew pub that eventually segues into having a production facility. But you know, it's very hard for anybody, at least in our sector, to do one or the other only. And that, that but as long as you start in one and you segue to the other, like that's that's fine because then you do see the benefits of of higher margin. But yeah, like you know, imagine you you have a, you already have a successful running production facility, but then you can you can pad margins by selling 10, 15 percent to uh, direct to consumer. 
or vice versa. It's all right, we can do, we, we have a brew pub, we're going to create these, that uh, we're going to get these extra margins and eventually roll that into production facility because we can't sell enough beer out, out, out the door. Yeah, no, that, that, that makes sense. In, but do you, do you figure you have to sit down and figure out which way you're going first? You can't, you, you have to decide that you're going to be the brew pub first and focus on that or going to be the brewery first and then maybe the well, other. Look, it's, it's always good business practice to know what, you, what you're doing. Um, you know, I, and with hindsight, I can say that we always wanted to be able to have the tap room open from day one. But when you're, we, we open with four people, one guy's one guy brewing the beer and he did for one year straight, he did every CIP, every brew, every transfer, like everything, one guy. Right. And then we had one one brewing assistant helping him who then also doubled as our packaging guy. And then me trying to handle, um, you know, getting the brewery off the ground from a accounting standpoint and from running the like running the business. And then my other partner, Ben Rossi, who was doing all the sales. So, you know, when you're done, your when you've gone in at 7 a.m. and six o'clock, 6 p.m. rolls around and it's drinking time, you know, do you want to open the tap room? And, and, and that for a while, it was like, all right, let's just get, let's get our feet beneath us before we say we're going to do that. It was only about six months until we opened. And then it was, it was like February here, uh, at night with our, with our massive door open to our, um, our, our warehouse in a, in a, in an industrial part of town. And, you know, you're not having foot traffic like people have to figure it out. But, but we, we had said, all right, let's keep the door open because someone will come in. And eventually it just caught steam. But it, but it took a while. It took a really long time for, for that to catch on. But also because we, we, we never had the every, whenever we did have any any extra cash, it went into, uh, you know, paying the hot bill or, or buying a new piece of machinery. It wasn't going into uh, our grassroots. Uh, tap room, style tap room, which which still to, to this day, I mean, there are some other guys that are outpacing us in the sense of like having a really really pretty tap room. Uh, but they like like a, a good friend of mine runs Gross Brewing, which is no more than five kilometers away, uh, smaller facility. But they've they've said we want to do more of the brew pub um, route first, and so they actually they have a kitchen, they have all these things at so so I'm in the I'm in our our standalone tap room, but at the brewery. Like we never decided to do that because uh, to have the, the kitchen because it was going to change all our our licensing and activities and permitting, and we already had a lot of people around us kind of mad at us because we were bringing so many we were attracting so many people so then we didn't want to like tip the scales too much to even have like the restaurant us too so it was very calculated like that's the extent of what of what we're going to do now. yeah we when we started in seventeen we you know there was this. Bill actually going to the build for the, you know the top rooms for the brewers to be able to you know have their top rooms in Ireland, and that was back in 2017. So in our warehouse, we always had like a little spot that we were kind of dreaming. Oh, you know that's going to be our top, going to be our top room. And we you know we sold the equipment. We've been contracting for three years. And we're getting our new facility, and we still can't have a top room here. So it's always been a dream. But it's not something that we can actually do, which is kind of sad. And so one of my partners, actually, he's from Spain. He's from Barcelona. So from the very beginning, we always had, you know, an eye in Spain. And we're like, oh, maybe we should, you know, just, you know, that dream of a top room. Maybe we should just go to Spain and open a brew pub there instead. Uh, that that hasn't 
really gone away, you know, that idea still. So it, it might happen in the, in the near future, I'd say, because it's something we'd like to do. You know, it's we think there's a special thing about a tap room, you know, and having your customers coming to your place and tasting beers straight out of the tanks, you know, it's and and I guess from the, you know, the, the business point of view, like if you do a little research, I think for most, especially in the U.S., a lot of the revenue, you know, comes from from top rook. It's a it's a huge source of revenue, right? So I think it's a it's 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 a great thing if you have the opportunity to to have a top room. And is it yeah, that you want a top room, something like that with a focus on food as well? Is that like something? Yes, like absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, it's yeah. The, the thing that that, that we ha we have to remember as um, you know, uh, Cristiano, I'm assuming you're Italian by birth, is that right? Uh, I am Brazilian by birth. My family is from Italy, though, so I'm both uh, Italian, Brazilian. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So, and and I'm I do not look Basque in any way. I'm I'm Filipino <laughs> descent uh, with with German blood, born in Maryland, and now I live in the Basque country. Right. So, um, the thing is. Like, but 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 the wonderful thing about it is we have a global perspective. And when you look at like like what the states does, you say, hey, that would be great. Let's do that. And you can absolutely imitate that or 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 mirror that in any way you want. But the fact of the matter is, one in every five beers sold in the United States is craft. In Spain, it's one in a hundred, yeah. right? So you're already dealing with, uh, you know, a market share that that, and it, hopefully it will get there. I mean, England's one in ten, right? So you're talking about ten percent market share. So, you know, I, I, and, you know, when we, talk, when we talk about this, I'm not trying to get away from the romantic aspect of it. Like we do what we do because we want people to, to, to have a great experience and, and to find great beer. And we work with other breweries uh, as though that, like some people are like, I can't believe you collaborate with your competitors. It's like, well, that's, that's craft beer. You know, you do it so you can make better beer throughout the industry because any single person out there that like I'm talking about like a 60 year old lady who's drank industrial lager her whole life. And then she decides one day I'm going to try some industrial beer or some, uh, some craft beer. And she doesn't have uh, a great one. Well, she'd be like, well, I don't like that anymore. I'm not going to have that anymore. And you, that, then you just have a lost soul. And I don't mean a lost sale. I mean, literally somebody who's going to be not trying and, and having a mediocre to bad experience with beer for the rest of their lives. Maybe they don't care, but, but I do. And I want that to be, um, that, that's what that's what we do here. I mean, I'm looking up at my one of my my staff members here, and I mean, he will talk someone's ear off until they they are convinced, like that that they are going to have uh, a great experience with the beer and try to understand it. And even if they don't understand it, like think about the amount of flavor that you're getting, not even just what you're tasting. If you don't get it at first, yeah, does that mean like in in your core range? Does that mean that you feel like you have to have something like a lager that you can? guide someone into like you're not going to send them straight off to a sour beer or something if all they've been drinking is lager well like, we have to make lager or else all our brewers would quit because they wouldn't drink anything else um <laughs> no uh, uh, no it, it's it's uh, it's our number one consumed beer by us and then even when we do like I, we do have a hobby pills there it's like people fight we have we have this this deal like each when we when we pack if, if a beer is overweight or underweight, it doesn't make it general consumption, but we call them HQ beers. And that means that the staff can take them home and uh, they will fight 
like tooth and nail to get the uh, the like the, the the HQ loggers and the hobby pilsners and stuff. Um, no, but uh, all joking aside, uh, it's because you need that 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 door to enter for some people who aren't going to. Even if we have the the best West Coast IPA or the best uh, New England IPA, some people who've never had it will not get it. Even if it's like a four point eight unicorn on untapped, like they'll just, they're not going to understand what it is. So they, they, they have to start somewhere. Yeah. So for us, it, it starts with our, uh, our core range pretty much goes lager, America, uh, American pale ale, hoppy American amber, uh, West coast IPA, hazy IPA. Uh, then we have a gluten-free that, that, that uh, gluten-free West coast, um, then, uh, oatmeal, an oatmeal stout, right? So, uh, you know, all really accessible beers. But, you know, sometimes you could see somebody taste the West Coast, like, well, I'm not ready for that. And then you give them the lager and then like, okay, and then they try the pale and they just, it, they, they can reintroduce themselves if they find it interesting enough. Um, and then, you know, you got the beers for the, the aficionados, uh, the beer geeks, to be honest, uh, we love them. Um, but, you know, they're, they're looking for those, you know, 30 gram per liter dry hop, 8.5% double IPA. And that's not for everybody. Yeah. we make we always have one in rotation yeah and i it's that's interesting because we we recently just released it's a white label lager that we are brewing for a restaurant in dublin they have it's two restaurants they have one in dublin one in delnuri and they invited us to do a, a food and beer experience we we had a fun night there and then they're like look guys we have this japanese lager on top and but we would like you to, you know, come up with a with a white label lager for us. I was like, oh, that's well, that's interesting. Well, let's do it. And then I brewed it. It's like a classic German. And when I tasted it, you know, from the bright beer tank, I'm like, oh, I wish I had brewed that before. Because it's just so good. It's like a good lager. It's just so good. <laughs> um, we're so we're brewing that for them now, and I'm like, oh. I, we were thinking of introducing that to our core range now, actually. Like, oh, let's just can it and you sell it. Yeah, and, the, yeah, yeah I, the I, are underrated a lot, I think. People go, like yeah. you were saying, they go for the, the extremes, a lot of the kind of, yeah. you get into it, they, you know, they want something new and extreme all the time. But yeah, there's, yeah. With, with a good nagger. You have to have that for balance. Um, you know, because if, if you're, even for, for me, I, I'm like, you know, we like I said, we we have a we have a massive range. Um, but I could reach for a six point one percent West Coast gluten free beer and be super happy because it's so light and crisp and West Coasty, and then um, you know jump back to a lager and then jump forward to a, to a deepa and then when that gets too much, go back to lager. It's a great palate palate cleanser and refresher. Uh, and that's just how I think the the market and how people. Uh, like the efficient, the, the, the crappier drinker is thinking about it because how, how often can you sit there and session an imperial pastry, uh, pa imperial pastry stout and then a, a double IPA? And this is like one of those things, um, you know, I, I won't go on and look at untapped because I get, I start to get angry uh, because, but because uh, of comments, but it's like, yeah, and because the comments like um, our lager is very, very good and there should be a weighted scale for lager on untapped. But you see somebody who had uh, Imperial Stout, uh, double IPA, and then the lager, and they're like, "Yeah, I was hoping for more." And it's like, "Well, your 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 mouth is is completely demolished right now. Like, it's not supposed to be 
um, you know, keeping up with those beers, it's supposed to refresh your palate. So you can go back and have more of those. Other but um, the what we see here now is there's such a, a, a high demand for lager and especially in the restaurant realm because it, it, it's not a meal in, in and of itself. Yeah, it kind of goes, I mean, I suppose because it's light as well, it can go with everything. Whereas, like you said, a pastry stout or something, you're going to be somewhat limited in the food you pair with it, I guess. Right. I'm, but I'm drinking, um, I'm, I'm, I'm double fisting here, but I'm, I'm having your guys' uh, headlights. Yeah. And I didn't even look at like 6.5%. Excellent. You know, I, I if drinking it, I probably would have guessed even like slightly lower, like 6.2, because it's so well integrated and easy drinking and hoppy. And, and, and t- just so you know, traveled really well, really nice and fresh. Oh, great, oh. Good, great aroma. Was, so, yeah, that's good. Well, it, it wasn't. In a, you know, in a, it's probably, you know, uh, we've sent beers before and like it's cold here now. If it's traveling, you know, in Ireland, it's kind of cold, but if, if it's warm, some of those beers they finish really high, so it, they can get the flavor profile can change very fast if it gets, you know, uh, heated up. Yeah, so of course. It's good to know I mean, it's well, we have, um, good. yeah, l- luckily we, we have some wind at our backs right now, and so in the summertime. When even in the Basque country, which, you know, we're, we're not that far off from Ireland style uh, uh, weather because of the mountains yeah. and north facing to the sea and et cetera. Uh, but it can get like a, there are a couple of days where it gets up to like 35, 38 C. And you have somebody who's, who's trying to take some be- like a couple pallets of beer to Barcelona in an unrefrigerated truck. And you're like, yeah, so no, we're, oh, we're, we're beyond that, guys. That's not happening anymore. <laughs> yeah. So imagine. I mean- imagine yeah. Yeah, I guess that that is the, the thing when you're not controlling it. I even, you know, even if you, you've the temperature on the the transport, you've whether they'll serve it out of a fridge, whether the person then at home keeps it right. I mean, you have no control over really what outside of a tap room. You have no real control yeah. over the beer yeah. tastes like at the end of the day. I suppose one of the advantages of having a tap room, really. Well, yeah, for yeah. people to understand what the beer really is supposed to taste like, and then they go somewhere else and be like, "Well, that's not." That's not exactly right, but you you also don't want them to say, um, yeah, you want them to come, but when they're out on the street being like, yeah, that that's not as good as it was at the tap room. There, there's very few people who necessarily taste that if, unless it's been, uh, you know, it, uh, one of our IPAs has been cold stored one month longer. There's very few people that are going to see uh, the difference. But yeah, if you're talking three months and after it was cold stored, gotten somebody's bar or bottle shop and the waiter who just maybe didn't care or was distracted kept putting new beer in front of an old beer and then one day there's a big night and they get to the old beer and it's just like whoa what is that what is that you know and and it's it's terrible when it happens it's happened to happen to me once um, with a beer like and, and we used to have the flexibility to change our labels a lot so when we could um we would see a beer and we knew we did we did a little design tweak to the label like we'd see it on tap be like man that we without seeing the expiration date we knew how old it was and then we could send in somebody to talk to the to the bar we've we're, again we're beyond that point we can't track that anymore but we do everything that we can do at least to ensure that by the time it leaves the distributorship to go to said bar that it's been at the op, kept at the most optimal as possible um, is your distribution now kevin uh, just uh and it's just do you distribute yourself or you you have a third party that does that for you we're we're a third party even here in in our local market um and that's that maybe that will change in the future um but one thing we didn't want to deal with is collecting money from 
bars and restaurants. Um, and now imagine we have uh, it just in our like that little sphere, uh, that our little world that we live in in Gibusco, which is the province where San Sebastian is. There's over 300 bars that carry our beer. We just don't have the manpower to to deal with that. Yeah. So we actually work with a, a. They're pretty much family now. Um, it's a it's a it's a cider it's a cider house. Fast country if uh, for you guys or anybody else watching. Um, Basque Country is huge with cider. Uh, Basque cider is a thing. And so we work with a cider house that's been around for 500 years. And so on uh, maybe a decade ago, they said, hey, you know, we have our lorries are halfway full going around delivering cider. We might want to try to fill them up with something else. And they they started to get into crappier distribution. And then they had this built-in network and Salesforce, and that's really helped us. And then uh, outside of here, we work with uh, all independent um uh craft beer distributors yeah. uh, i should say all i mean there are there are a couple big guys that we sell to in say like northern france that aren't necessarily independent but they're they're great clients um down to uh we we, we have we have beer pretty much in every european country except the far eastern block your export you know i remembered last time chris you were saying that you started trying to export started off trying to export to brazil and then decided that maybe you weren't established yeah and then, yeah, and then I uh, was in Brazil, what, two, 2020, I believe, in December. And then we, we brewed a collaboration there with a, a UX brew. And we were actually working with them. So we were going to start contracting with them and they have their own distribution as well. Now, we're not contracting there yet, but that's still something we're looking to do. My brother just happened to... He opened a brew there with a couple of friends as well in Brazil. So they have their own brew pub now. They started it as a, well, it was as a, they're like four friends. And they were like, oh, you know, we'll, we all like beer. So why not, you know, start getting a small brewery. They started with a two, I think it's a two hack brewery. Tiny, tiny. And then now they're contracting as well. And they have their own brew pub. And so we still have that idea of uh, having our brand in Brazil as well. We're hoping that's going to happen soon as well. But you are exporting. So yeah, but we do export not not to Brazil at the moment. We in 2019 we had a shipment going to Brazil, and the shipment was was going through London because we were going to uh, the importers in Brazil were going to uh, bring it together with a shipment that they had ordered from Thornbridge, right? So we shipped the beers to London and the driver uh, forgot to put the paperwork on the pallet. So what happened is that it was the pallet, the, the, the truck was, you know, stopped by the border control and they took the pallet out. They called us and then they couldn't find the paperwork. We sent them the paperwork and, but it took us two months to actually, three months to actually uh, move the pallet. And by then the Thorn Bridge beers had you know sale already and we were like okay that's not gonna happen we can send it now the costs were just too high and for some reason uh the uk was demanding that we would pay excise and vat on that so they could release it to be shipped to brazil and we were like well you know those charters are not applicable if uh there was nothing we could do so and at that point you t tell them to just drink it yeah, the customs officers just try. Yeah, that's, yeah. yeah that, that's that's what happened. So it, we, I'm not paying any so, of that. Drink it. Yeah. 
Uh, yeah. But on the export, we do yeah we do a lot of export in Europe now as well. Uh, we do a good deal with Russia. Okay. Uh, yeah. So uh, when, for some reason they like the Irish beers. Okay, I did not know that. Um, <laughs> they have. Yeah, so at some point we'll have to pick your brain about the Russian market. I have no clue what you know what, what they like yeah. or what that I would have thought there's a lot of stouts and stuff in, in that area. But yeah, there's this the, the importers they actually have a, a chain of Irish pubs, Russian, uh-huh. Moscow, St. Petersburg, and they import just for you know their bars. Yeah, so Kevin, just come back to when like. Your idea is to brew beer, like you said, it's as good as Basque food, as Basque cuisine. Do you have anything special in that you like the taste or like do you, I guess, how does that link into, you know, what the beers you make? You, like you said, most of the drink, the beers there are lagers and then there's cider. So do you have kind of, do you try to aim towards any sort of apple taste? Some of them? Like, how do you, is it, I guess what I'm trying to say in a very confused way is it's as good as Basque cuisine but is is it kind of tailored to be similar to basque cuisine well there's 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 two um there's two, two probably more more like five parallel paths but uh one is making true to style beer that's good enough to pair with basque food and then another one is trying to make a truly basque and so the problem that arises there is there's not really a, a, a great malting culture there's not a great hop culture but what they do have they have, they have water and they have a lot of it um number one number two uh yeast and and the cider culture um go hand in hand so what we did and we didn't do enough of it um now imagine back in 2015 busting our asses to get our brewery open we fill all the tanks and the next day we're like now what do we do (laughs) you know we got you've got to let the the yeast do its job no one's buying like we can't sell anything like so uh our our founding brewer at the time was like, hey, man, let's let's make a sour beer and send it over to the cider house. So what we did was we just brewed um, Kolsch wort, sent it over, pitched it, uh, let it open air inoculate for for a couple days. Um, the, the fermentation was minimal, but it did pick up something from the, the ambient yeast in the air at the cider house. And then we pitched in um, a slurry that we got from a guy, I don't know if he's still around anymore, Al at East Coast Yeast, who's his geek who wonderful guy made this great slurry uh that he called bug county so we pitched that in um fermented more in the big vats and then we barreled it we barreled it and then we got so busy that like three years later we're like holy shit have you guys gone over and tasted that beer yet and so we went over and realized that uh you know of the 2500 liters half the barrels had popped their uh their airlock so they were garbage and then two other ones were terrible. And then we were able to, to like the other 10 or the other 1,000 liters of four barrels or so were, were fantastic. So we blended that, um, you know, put a do- did, a, did a, a champagne yeast dosage to, in order to uh, secondary fermentation in the bottle. And that thing was fantastic. And we were still at this point like, hey, we don't know if anyone's going to accept this. Uh, and it's not as good yet as say, you know, I'll be very, very humble, like as to be very, very humble. It's not as good as you know, these great Lambics out of Belgium, but it's pretty good. And then we, we sold it and it got really good feedback. And we still find bottles around that people are selling for like 70 bucks at their restaurants and people buy them. And, you know, and it's really it's up for 750 milliliter. Um, and we, and as soon as we saw like 
after the, the secondary fermentation, it, it, the beer wasn't ready yet. And really it was like another eight months after that, a year after that, it really came into its own. And we were like, damn it, we should have started making more of that right. in 2016, two and a half years ago. And now we're still waiting for the next batch to come out. People are like, when is the next piccata coming out? And so it, the, the, so to get back to your question is um, that utilizing yeast, utilizing cider, not making a hoppy cider, but utilizing cider or apples or mixed mixed uh, fermentation or mixed batch, uh, utilizing grape must from around here, which is uh, for chocolate, things like this, um, those flavors have a common denominator with cider and with the local wine and people are much more apt to take that on than if we were to just give them like a super a super funky um uh like like cantillon style beer like they would actually sorry they would think that that is like a cider rather than a sour beer there's no there's no correlation to beer with that okay and so that's is that a well it sounds like it that that's a path you want to go down more on that mixing in with the ciders and, and that hundred percent hundred percent yeah yeah, Chris. I, I noticed. I mean, ju just because you're there, and the thing is, you're actually doing a lot of fruit lately. You seem to be really focused. Oh, always, yeah. Well, it, see, the first, the first beer we ever released, because I always had that idea of I like experimenting. The first beer that we ever released was a was a Belgian saison with beetroot, sage, and lemon thyme. And adventurous that, first, you know, <laughs> yeah. And from then on, like I've been using fruits and herbs and vegetables all along. Uh, so the the beer that Kevin is drinking there right now—that's the Nisox. That's the second year that we yeah. That's the we released that last year, and now this year again, it's a mango IPA. Uh, yeah, but yeah, we've been we've been using a lot of fruits. Like last year, we released. Uh, a label called No Cars that it was a sour uh, series that we we had. So we had vanilla passion fruit, we had lime and coconut, we had a raspberry lime and sour cherry, uh, and we had a dry hop one. I don't know if I sent you the dry hop one because I, I ran out of that, but we sent you the boo, I guess, didn't, didn't we? Yeah, we that one, yeah. Which is... Uh, I think that's a lime, sour, cherry, raspberries, and black currant. Yeah. So yeah. So I really enjoy like brewing with, with fruits. Uh, we are working with a uh, with a an off license now. We're gonna they want us to actually brew a smoothie sour beer. I've never done that before, so I've been scratching my head. I don't, and I'm like, oh, I don't know if that works. I you know I've tasted a couple of them before. And, but they're like, you know, way, way fruitier than what I usually do. Cause I like to incorporate the fruit into the beer. You know, I like getting the character of the fruit, but I don't like the fruit to be the, the center of the beer. I like the beer to be, uh, I like, I'd like my, I'd like to taste the beer as a whole, as a beer and the, the smoothie beers that I've tasted, uh, you know, they were, I think they were pasteurized after uh, secondary fermentation and then added the fruit and then packaged. So it's like you really get fruit only. Uh, and what are we so talking about? We're talking like, like 30, like 20, 20%, 25% fruit, right? That they're adding in? Yeah. Or more, even more. Well, you see. 
See, that, that Mongo IPA, I add about 18%. But I think it's really well balanced with the hops. You can actually, you know, the mongos there, you get the ripe mongo in the nose, but you do get the bitterness of the hops, you know, it, the characters of the IPA, it's still there. And uh, I just find that for those smoothie beers, you know, a, the fruit just takes the forefront and that's what it is about. So I think I, I'm going to brew it, but I'm going to do it in such a way that I can try to kind of balance that game and still give a, you know, still make a, a beer out of it instead of instead of his moody. Uh, but I think it'll be interesting. Yeah, it's going to be a challenge. And is that going to be easier in your own, having your own place or you'll be able to experiment? Oh, yeah, 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 for sure. Yeah, no, I... The only, I, the only problem with that is that... You, even with the, the the own place, like we don't have a we don't have a pilot kit. So whatever I come up with, Ask I need to at least brew twenty five hack. So that's a lot of beer. That's a lot of fruit. And if it goes wrong, it's yeah. a lot of beer down the drain. <laughs> so, so so your new your new kit's uh, twenty five hectolitre. Yeah. Oh yeah. I, the, we're not we're not that much different from from ours. We're what we're. Size we're, we're uh, thirty heck brew house. Uh, sorry, sorry, thirty thirty heck water ton, and then um, forty heck in the kettle, just to for you know for a little extra for boiling and whatnot. Yeah. So we'll we'll knock out two thousand five hundred and ba- like for, uh, for one brew, maybe a little bit more depending on what it is. But um, for any of our hoppy beers, I should say any of our hazies, we're really going to get down to a yield of like two thousand, yeah. uh, and then anywhere in between that and twenty five hundred for a lager. So yes, similar size. Yeah, right. it's a good, it's a good size kit to work with. Yeah, it means so. It's just those experimental brews that you know it's hard to. Uh, whenever I come up with something I'm brewing for the first time, I, oh, I hope it goes well. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you'll have to get into more blended beer. So just all the stuff that doesn't work, just put aside. Yeah, blend a lot more. Now get, get a get a get a still so you can just. Distill off the alcohol and then package a gin. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. No, I have to say that the fruit. I, I did have that mango one last night, and I thought the same. And like, I, I was expecting maybe it would just be all fruit, like a fruit juice, something. But it's not. It it was quite bitter, and the mango just kind of yeah, yeah, yeah. Hinted behind it, like it was. I, I thought it was nice. I enjoyed it anyway. Um, but yeah, like a lot of the beers now, they're going. They are going to extremes on that. You know, yeah. Heavy fruit or heavy pastry stouts that are just. I, I do not understand the dessert in the can thing at all. It just doesn't doesn't work for me. But, but people seem to like them. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a, it's a. Uh, there's a lot of that going on. The, uh, there, I don't know of any Irish brewery actually brewing any smoothie, you know, IPAs or sours. But you go to off license and you see a lot of and you see a lot of those beers, especially from the U.S. And so it's a it's pretty big in, in Ireland. Yeah, but I suppose up where you have enough around you, well, you did say you do a pastry sour or a pastry stout. So are they popular up there that wouldn't seem to match in with the, the kind of the cider? Um, uh, me? Um, yeah, they're, they're exceptionally pop- popular, but also because not all of it goes to here. Okay. Um, uh, we ch- I would say a, a hallmark of our beer typically um, across any style um, is that they are they, they drink quite dry. Asterisk being when we add when we ha- when we make something that is uh, pastry style, we're talking like thirty 
Plato or something, you know, it's, it's pretty massive. So you're, you're, you're looking at it's, it can get and up to 12% alcohol. So it's like, um, have chocolate adjuncts or things like this or marshmallow or things that, you know, um, there's part of the segment that wants that. And, and we don't, we don't always, uh, try to meet what the market wants, but what we try to do is make a really interesting, uh, drinkable beer. And so, um, when we do something like, like that, all of it is it, typically now because it's winter, we have more of them, but uh, typically we'll have one in rotation because of the demand for it. And if there's demand for it, we want to make a good beer. Um, but then also like recently, we just made a Russian Imperial Stout, no adjuncts what, whatsoever. Really, really pretty. Uh, we have a, a porter that is coming out at five, 7% maybe it might be slightly more than that, maybe six percent but like a, a sessionable dry yeah. porter like so uh w- w- we we don't really say that there's not one style that we're not going to make um but whatever style that is we are going to try to make it's get the best style we, we can yeah so yeah chris like are you how are you planning your new your facility now with that you know are you planning like you're going to be building or brewing bigger batches are you going to be you're going to be brewing more often i guess are you we're going to definitely be brewing more often uh we're going to definitely be experimenting more and one thing that i want to do is to do a bit of you know barrel aging as well it's something i've always wanted to do uh i i really like sherry like last night i was drinking sherry like my partner she doesn't like it she loves the wines but not the sherry she thinks it most of the time it smells like socks, but I love it. I really like it. I, and so I'd like to do some barrel aging work, especially with, you know, wine barrels and sherry barrels. That's, that's something that we're looking forward to do because we haven't been able to do that obviously for, you know, forever. Doing barrel aging while contracting is just, yeah. Well, there's something that you should definitely come to Cristiano. Um, so there's a guy named, uh, uh, he runs ASC Barrel out of Bordeaux. Alex oh. Sacone, have you ever met him? No, I have, no. Crazy guy, really, really, you know. I think anybody who just spends their life in barrels or or yeast, in, for that matter, or anything is fucking crazy. To, sorry, sorry, they're crazy. But um, he's a great guy, and he's having the Barrel Summit in Normandy this year in uh, June 3 and 4. And we're, we're definitely going up. We buy all, all of our barrels from him exclusively. Never had a problem with one of his barrels. He, he does quality checks on it first. But um, he's got a warehouse that he bring, he imports barrels from the States, from Perth, from uh, from Scotland, wherever. And then he, he double checks them and then he'll he'll sell them out. But like we're, uh, I think you should definitely put that into your calendar and I, I can uh, send you after offline that information. But uh, yeah, like we, we've been slowly building our barrel park for years. We have about 54 barrels. Yeah. And one of the most interesting things that came out was one time we put in an Imperial Stout into a, a, a still wet Oloroso barrel. So, it, it you know, it oh. came, uh, they didn't want they, the, the bodega who cannot be named is a good bodega. Uh, they were like, yeah, but we don't, we don't understand what you're doing. So just don't use our name. <laughs> like, that's fine. Uh, and, and, but like we put we put the beer in at 12 percent it actually went up to 14 because how, that's how much sherry was in the barrel that we got and uh it was gorgeous absolutely beautiful like sherry's 
I, I highly recommend experimenting with that. And then also because it is a little bit high ABV, yeah. uh, you're going to have less problems with any uh, yeah. or, or things like that. It's going to yeah. be a more, much more well-cured barrel. That's good. Look, if you can send me that info offline, that would be awesome. And did you say it was June, June 3rd? Is that it? June, th June 3 and 4. Myself and one of our, our, either our head brewer or our lead brewer will go to do a chat about it. Yeah. We work really, really closely with him. And um, he actually just re recently sent us four four barrels because he, he has the office in um, Bordeaux and another office in Tel Aviv. And he sent us four mini barrels that were filled with different honeys. And so like we're, we just filled them up. We're going to see what, what comes out of them. Oh, yeah, good. really, really fun guy and um, trustworthy. So recommend it. Yeah. Yeah. So that's really something I'm, I'm looking forward to do to, you know, do some work with barrels we haven't been able to do so far. So yeah. when you're doing the barrels, do you, like you said, you're obviously there's a certain amount where it's just luck. You put it in, you know what, what was in the barrel, what it smells like what was in there and you decide what beer to put in. Do you do a lot of blending afterwards or do you just take what comes out and hope for the best, you know, hope what comes out will be nice or do you do a lot of blending afterwards? Um, no, there's definitely blending for sure. And then uh, because these are not, because we're already putting in a, a, a fermented beer, uh, like a fully fermented beer and we're really just getting some character out, Okay. the blending is not necessarily going to change too much because okay. the uniformity of the barrels. Um, however, and, and also we're talking we're talking pretty small small um, lots here. So like you know a thousand liters. Um, you know we we have we have yet to have opened one of these barrels that's like oh yeah that's garbage. Um, as opposed to the wild fermentation barrels, of course you're going to get some crazy variation and stuff that just is slow or over or or completely infected and you can't yeah. you can't use. It. So yeah, so you're just adding in the flavor that was of what was in it before. Yeah, exactly. And, and what we what we learned as we went was, you know, if you can, because we, we don't always have that luxury, but as you go, every barrel, you know, if you put in 11% and then you, then beer, and then you decide to put in 9%, that 9% is not going to get what the 11% got out. What you should be, what you should do is do, uh, like you put in every, every, every fill, you need to put in something higher alcohol. Uh, cause it's, cause the, the solvency of the, the, the alcohol will be solvent and they keep extracting, extracting. But if it's, if you go to 14 and then you put, decide to put it in nine, it's a great holding vessel, but it's not going to get very much out of the wood. Right. Um, yeah. so like we, yeah, I, I can't think of one instance where we were like, um, yeah, let's just, let's take that barrel and, and, and toss it and work out. No. But it, it's maybe we use a little less of one, but, but, ne but I, I can't think of one time where we set a, a crappy barrel. And you rely on it, you, you kind of specify to him what you, what kind of barrels you want, or do you just take, like, he knows what you brew and he kind of sends you up something on spec that he thinks would, you'd enjoy or? Well, no, absolutely. We, we, we go through exactly what we want. So uh, we have, we, we just released, started a couple months ago, releasing beers that have been barrel aged at least six months up to, if not over a year. And, the, and, and it's called Barrel Works. And it's called a journey through the woods. So diff different woods. So right now we're about to release a, a refurbished French oak barrel that used to hold Semillon that was then uh, shaved, retoasted, re and refurbished. So probably there's, there's very, very little taste of Semillon, but it's almost as though it's, it's a new fre toasted French barrel with just a touch of wine. Um, that was deliberate. That was something we asked for. Another one is, is bourbon. Another is rum. Uh, another is, is port, no, sherry. So... 
uh, and one that was really cool we got was X bourbon, then filled with maple syrup, and then and, and then then the maple syrup was sold, and then you had this this barrel that was then uh, had touches of whiskey, but really predominantly fresh maple syrup. You smell the barrel from the outside. It smells like that. It was really cool. Yeah. And are you, are you this question there, Kevin, do, uh, do you mostly experiment or your barrel aging? Is that it's dark beers predominant or you do different styles? Uh, let's say, you know, whatever a Saison or an IPA, maybe how do you go about doing your barrel aging? In-house, it's all um, it's all black beer, and then over at the cider house, we have barrels with uh, uh, saison, uh, but like you know, farmhouse saison. We have um, yeah. the bacada, which is a mixed fermentation wild ale, as well. Simply because we don't want to have any problem with uh, any wild yeast in our clean clean beer facility. That's it. But you we, do we, experiment we, with not, not only with dark beers, but with. Uh, Yes. Saisons yeah. and the farmhouse ales as well. Yeah. Exactly. More of the farmhouse stuff. We we haven't done a barrel aged IPA or anything like that. It's always been repitched with uh with some kind of like a like a lactobacillus or something, yeah. or something like that. Okay. Yeah, so I was wondering we're, we're over an hour now, so I'm I better let you go soon, I suppose. But um just wondering is there any like we kind of touched on there, is there any sort of beer that as a brewery you think you couldn't release that you want to release but that you think your market just wouldn't wouldn't handle it or do you just say i'd throw it out and see what you know. um I'll, I'll, I'll jump in the there are certain beers that 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 we can't make because no one wants them um and what and like for example like we do really like nice super dry um funky saisons but that don't have Unless it's unless it goes through the barrel aging process, unless it's fully wild, it's going to have this like really nice deep sour quality. Uh, the standard saisons don't sell, um, and, and we don't want to sit on them, yeah. uh, even though we could because they're not going to you know because it's saison and it's going to probably get better anyway. Uh, some traditional stuff like um, kind of uh, English styles that are not of the of the moment right now. Uh, brown ales, things like this, like it's really hard to sell. Uh, there, I can't think of one that we really want to do that we couldn't because it would be too crazy. I actually think if we found something that was exceptionally crazy, it would it, it, maybe we would think people wouldn't accept it, but they would because uh, it would have to be good, and we wouldn't accept, we wouldn't sell it if it was garbage, of course, or even anywhere below our standards. But uh, but I'm we're we're, we're really. We have the luxury now of, of coming up, being very creative, and uh, pushing the envelope with styles because of who we have in house, the staff, to say this isn't going to work, this will work, this is going to work. And then, even though many of the things we make are the first time we're going to make it, it goes through a check and balance system through brewers. Like, let's just say we put them all together. There's 30 years of brewing experience right there. Uh, we're not going to have a bad people. Right. How would you? On our side, I don't think there's, you know, same thing. I don't think there's anything we couldn't release, but, you know, uh, like for instance, I would like to release again our beetroot beer because I think that was, it was an awesome beer. Uh, how, how did you make that beer? Just uh, just out, out of curiosity from, from mash to um, can, what did you do? So when we brewed that beer, we had like the five hack brew kit. So I've used 10 percent of beetroot puree in the uh it was in the whirlpool so it was just right prior to 
going into the heater heat exchange. But we actually bought, we still have pictures. Like we, we bought like 50 kilos of, it was about 75 kilos of beetroot. We peeled it ourselves and we pureed ourselves. And no way. Went into the, yeah. And we also like, we used uh, lemon thyme and sage and it was a, 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 a saison, but it was a delicious. It was crazy to see. We had a beer in a festival and a lot of people, you know, they think of beetroot as it's like the chef that we were talking from, you know, the the the, the restaurant in Scaries. He was like, when I told him about the beer, he was like, look, I have a lot of beetroot in my dishes. And uh, it's interesting to see people's face when they're faced with beetroot because a lot of people don't like beetroot. But if you present them with this, with something good, you know, uh that looks good and tastes great uh it, you can change your mind you know and so what you would get from that beer was like the earthness from the beetroot and obviously the color uh so it was it was great and it worked really well with the sage uh and the the lemon thyme uh it was a it was essentially a savory beer uh so we would like to release that again but that said market wise uh you would have a hard time selling a an irish red ale in ireland if we were to brew one right yeah right yeah. that's that that's one of those uh that's one of the styles like like we we make we and we can't get away from doing it and, and we don't want to uh one of our core range beers is, is a hoppy american amber yeah and so but here in spain there's people they're like they're they're like tostada zombies tostada means like toasted beers like tostada 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 i just want tostada and and you have to give them something Right. So um, now what they're looking for is this double malt thing. And it's called a thing because I would never drink it. It's like cloying, sweet, almost to the point of like, like being like a Belgian double, um, but really not made well in any way and, and cloying, et cetera. And then we make ours, which is a little touch of tour factory notes, like from the like a handful of caramel malts that are in it um, and dark malts. And then we, we hop it, we dry hop it with Simcoe. And super balanced it's gorgeous um but if it wasn't for like the people who just want toasted beer like uh like red like like amber beer we probably would have dropped it because it, it does it doesn't call enough to the beer geeks um yes. like but although like danny would correct me uh if he was it, like he's actually here right now and he's looking at me like i love that beer uh no he, he says that that beer is like one of the best um food pairing beers He's like, mm -hmm. uh, you know, Danny. What would you pair a hamburger with? Am uh, round amber. What would you, what goes best with this? A round amber. Like it's a great, it, it, and it's true because it's only five percent. Like a touch of hops, uh, this malt character. Like it's really round. It's 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 such a good beer. And um, I even I, I forget sometimes, I guess, but uh, it's not it does it's it's not one of those things where uh, you're not going to change the world with that beer with that style. Yeah. Yeah. I, we see a lot of breweries outside Ireland brewing it. And, oh, well, the guys from yeah, from Zamatska, yeah, 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 they have a, an Irish red ale, and we uh, we released one at the very beginning as well, but then just dropped it. You know, it's it, it's a hard to sell beer in Ireland. Yeah, it used to be. I mean, it used to be popular once upon a time. I don't know when it stopped with critics and stuff like that. Well, I guess I guess his midix is still popular. Yeah. <laughs> well, there was one there i was uh i went up to um hag extravaganza with the white hag 
yeah. back in 2017. I want to say. I was there. Yeah. 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 Do yeah. 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 we do we meet there? Actually, no. No. We did. No. Um, no, because I remember like there was a guy from from uh, Coney Island Oyster Company, and he had his stall set up at the at. at I don't want to. I want to. I don't want to uh, uh, make any any enemies with Irish people, but but there were there are all these different stands. And every stand of like the curry or like where the, the, the sausages or whatever lines and lines and lines, the guy with the oysters, we had visited him the day before and they were some, and I know oysters, these oysters were 10 out of 10. No one wanted them. And I walked up to him like, dude, what's going on? Why, why does he want to eat your oysters? He goes, Irish people don't eat oysters. Yeah. And all of the uh, other brewers like Lurvig, Beavertown was there at the time, whoever, they all came over and we just sat there. Like we must have eaten each of us like three or four dozen oysters. But it's yeah. one of the things it's like you live on an island, yeah. you don't like you don't like oysters, and you have the best yeah. in the world. They were having the paella. <laughs> they're having the paella. They're having the paella. Yeah. <laughs>